0: I'm your host Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education at Liberty University, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy at Genesee Community College. Here's something you may have heard. Curiosity killed the cat. But did you know the phrase continues on? Curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought him back. Perhaps learning this tidbit brings you some satisfaction but it doesn't necessarily make the phrase universally true. Many times, curiously searching for answers just raises more questions. If this isn't our first show that you've listened to, then you probably know the feeling. Hmm. Today we're going to probe the depths of probing the depths by taking a look at the curiosity. Hmm. All right, so um, the intro there kind of sums up a little bit of you know, what What we do here and, you know, the, the different outcomes that can come from it. Mm-hmm. Curiosity, um, you know, we're going to have to dive into the essence of what it is, but lots of times the end result of curiosity, you don't know what it's going to be. And that's mm-hmm. the whole point of being curious. <clears throat> Are you going to find an answer to something and, and derive some sort of satisfaction or are you just going to open a whole other can of worms and be curious about 10 things when before you were only curious about one, yeah, you know? Yeah. So let's take a look at it. Um, what is
1: curiosity? Well, two things, depending on, well, there's so many definitions. So I'll take the secondary one first because I always like this. A curiosity is an object or an idea that is very strange to you, that you stop and look at and, and think about. Curiosity, uh, the strong, powerful, driving desire, as you said, to know something, to learn something, to, to want to find out about it. Um, but I like the curiosity. There, there are objects in everybody's Homes that are curiosities. Yeah, I'm glad that you
0: brought that one up because I didn't know if you would go there or not. But I was, I was recently, I saw a uh, an episode of a TV show about um, circus sideshows, huh? which obviously have their own ethical and all sorts of, of yeah. you know, implications. But you know, it's one of those things where a circus sideshow or a circus curiosity that really sort of capitalizes on. The first type as well. You have both types. You have a curiosity. And the reason that it's an attraction is because it causes people to be curious. Yeah. Oh, see, yes. wow. It does. Yeah. If you see a circus banner and it advertises, oh, a two-headed calf or, you know, a, you know something, <laughs> oh, well, I kind of want to see what that looks like. And then you pay your admission, you know. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Yep
0: you're lured in. Yeah, and you know what whatever is on the other side of the curtain sometimes you know it's you know it's something it can be a man in a monkey suit in a dimly lit room and sometimes it's can actually be a, something that actually
1: is a scientific you know Odyssey, yeah. Right. But yeah. So what so what curiosity is ab- about is in fanning the flame of which presupposes that there's a spark in the first place of of wondering about things, wanting to know. And the word wonder is very interesting too. Right. And I think that's when we were bantering about Yeah, you
0: know, and that's something too. I
1: think that we'll talk about a little
0: bit later as well is, um, you know, we talked about awe and the yes. sublime last week and the crossover between um, curiosity and Wonder or awe uh, has an interesting place, not just in our a modern conversation like ours, but if you go back to the Greeks, you know, and some of the original Western philosophers,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's kind of a big topic
1: there. Well, it is, and 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 if I'm going too far on this side, I, tell me. But I, I don't think I don't think this is going too far to the side. The interesting thing is when people say I'm curious about something, they alternatively say I wonder. But the initial meaning of wonder, theologically, uh, having to do with, you know, especially in medieval times, was a, a submissive kind of uh, wonder was, in those terms, um, saying, wow, I can't possibly know how this works, it, I don't need to, I'm not supposed to, this is the work of God, or something like that. So, wonder was actually don't be curious. Right. <laughs> and now wonder and curiosity are. Yeah, let's go ahead. You know, what? we can break down the rules we want because it's our show. So
0: we'll, we'll forget the format for a second. And it makes sense because we just did and uh, the yeah. sublime. So we'll, we'll make the connection now. So if we look at it a little bit historically, starting with the Greeks, yeah. the Greeks in to the Greeks, curiosity was a very pejorative thing curiosity was embodied by just this disheveled woman who was a gossip and you you can find you can find images and stuff yes but essentially yeah to the greeks um philosophy was inspired by you know awe and wonder and curiosity was you know essentially this just kind of aimless witless yes um gossipy um sort of idle uh wanting to know things that you had no business knowing yes, is yeah. essentially what curiosity was to the Greeks. Yep. So yeah, on wonder was like, but on wonder was what the philosophers were interested in. And, um, you know, I feel like that's a really kind of pure ide- idealistic view of, um, philosophy. If you think about it, that's what it should be. You know, mm-hmm. if you, you walk out on a day like today and you're, you're blinded by the sun, you can't quite look at it and you think, wow, like, where's that light coming from? You know, and that's obviously we're, we are so um, encompassed with modern knowledge that I think we sort of lose that initial wonder. You know, we can tell, well, the sun's a type G star that's 92 million miles away, blah, 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 blah. It's all scientific and dry. But, you know, you, you think of yourself as, as, you know, a Greek, you know, 2000 years ago, and you just think. Where's that light coming from? Mm -hmm. And then you Mm -hmm. have to invent this kind of story. There's a lot of awe or wonder behind that. There there is. It it really isn't just idle curiosity
1: at that point. It is kind of something. Right. I think the idle, that's the part. That's the, the, which suggests frivolity, which suggests lack of commitment to following through on an idea. Wonder and uh, and curiosity of, of, of the kind we're talking now, wonder um, uh, what was the word uh, thalma in in ancient Greece was if not an organized uh, approach, it was a committed and deep. You say, "I wonder about that light." Hmm. You're going to ask a whole series of questions. You're not going to just say, "Oh, I wonder about that light." Okay, now it's right. right. <laughs> time. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think that that's that just got really. Twisted around when when the the, the church uh, again in, in times of medieval uh, absconded with philosophy, took it over mm-hmm. essentially, made philosophy theology exclusively and and thus uh, changed the rules because even you know in the founding story you you get in trouble if you're curious here's a tree, it has fruit, the knowledge tree. Mm-hmm. Don't touch it. I put it here at the center of the garden. Don't look at it. Don't touch it. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> yeah. And what what is the and what is the fear
0: behind touching it is that you'll become like God. Yeah. So I don't know, that that has some implications for oh, it the has, motives behind
1: um It has fascinating yeah, implications.
0: But yeah, so yeah, so you come from, you know, zero ad to you know 1400 ad or whatever and you have almost a entire 180 swap of your views on curiosity versus wonder originally curiosity is a bad thing wonder is a good thing and then come medieval times um you know you're kind of wonder is is I don't know it's it's sort of
1: like you said it's it, religion has taken it over it is yeah, and so so wonder is 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 an amazing thing, but it's it it's in in medieval times it's, it's it's the place is theological and its place is essentially saying, Be odd, be still, don't ask, just accept, whereas curiosity I'm going to ask. I need to ask. I want to ask, and of course, that's not what the church was about, and still isn't for some for some uh, groups, which is very interesting when you're teaching people and you run into those walls. No, I'm not allowed to ask that. No, I'm not supposed to ask that. And, and here comes the, the the liberal humanist who says, "I'm hey, supposed to ask about everything. Right. <laughs> there's a, there's a time and a place, but." Everything is up for questioning, All right? Um, and so, for me, that curiosity is something that I, you know, localized in teaching. I desperately need my students to be curious. I try to reach into where their curiosity is. But, but you, as an education of major, have encountered this. I encounter it every week. Um, it makes me sad. <laughs> Sometimes because I'll have a student who will say I, I have no questions. I I I don't question. I just there are no questions I can ask. So then, of course, I'll suggest some questions and try to get them moving. and And some students take off with that and say, "Oh, I didn't know I could ask this. Oh, I didn't know I could." As if there was some restriction on asking something. Right. And but then there uh, there are some few. I'd say probably a quarter of the students who just. It's totally alien. And I think part of that is where curiosity seems to be the enemy of utility and education.
0: Yeah. And that's definitely the way that the the ancient Greeks saw it, mm. is that, you know, if you're thinking of curiosity as, as an idle thing or a gossipy thing or whatever, yeah. then essentially, while you're engaging in it, you're not doing anything productive or helpful, you yeah. know? So, yeah, and what you just mentioned, all right we we covered for, some formative stuff with the history of it. Yes. now we're going to jump ahead into the speculative of it. Well, we're just going to be all over the <laughs> the format with this episode, I'm all right with it, but Good. Yeah. that was actually one of the speculative questions I had was you know what's the link between curiosity and education in modernity mm. and you know i I'd kind of come to a similar conclusion as you had, which was that, and I was. In doing research for the show, um, somebody had written a, an article of a philosophy. An actual philosopher
2: mm-hmm.
0: had written an article in the New York Times about how, you know, the educational institution it is kind of um, suppressing the curiosity within the the um, the field of philosophy, and what she was saying was that philosophers are naturally curious people. You really can't be a philosopher if you're not a naturally curious person. Well, of
1: course. But yeah. she said
0: that there's almost a uh, a dichotomous split where when you actually go to work as a philosopher, if you are hired as a philosopher for a company, they're paying you not to be curious, but just to regurgitate what you've learned in graduate school, you know, the the processes and the knowledge that you've gained in a systematic fashion to assist the company, not to actually take a problem and be curious about it and come up with a novel solution. And so, yeah, yeah. and I think that obviously that sort of sentiment doesn't just apply to the field of the, you know, the academic field of philosophy, but really to academia in general, you know, I think that the layout, you know, the, um, how we've structured progress and the goal behind being educated in the first place kind of suppresses um, that that curious part of yes, what be, being be educated regimented, means.
1: Be regimented, adhere to the rules, which of course was given by the dominant class at any given time, and 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 our rules are that I mean education. And curiosity are interesting because initially education was for training ministers, right, <laughs> and you know, priests and so on. And then, and this is fast-forwarding through everything that you but that you have studied. But there, then it becomes a utility. Kind of focus so that we make good citizens. Well, then we have to do, diff- but philosophy would say, well, what makes a good citizen? That's precisely what Plato was asking. Right. In, in, in the Republic and, and Aristotle. And, and, you know, uh, but rather than say what makes a good citizen, we've already got the answer to what makes a good citizen. We have these three or four bullet points. <laughs> and so we say we're going to train you. Well, education and training aren't exactly the same thing. They braid, but they're not the same thing. And and training is being taught to see things through a certain set of lenses, which can be enormously useful professionally. But training doesn't have to remove the curious function. But if students are given the impression early on not to ask, uh, there's not enough time to ask. So we've got to cover too much, whatever the things are, then you get to to a place where people come to college, but they're already told that the first thing of the major point of college is to get a job. You got to go to college in order to get a good uh, paycheck. I have student after student, after student saying this to me because they've absorbed all of this propaganda that the culture has uh, washed at them like a tidal wave or better a tsunami, because tsunamis can sneak up on you and and so, and so I'm going off on this because curio- without curiosity, then you're just in the mode of, give me the, f- give me the things I need to know in order for me to put bread on my table. Mm-hmm. And that's not college. right? Uh, it's a kind of training, but of a minimal kind. College is, is about that. How do I be the best nurse? But you see, there's a question. Right. It's not, it doesn't start with the, with the position, we'll show you how to be the best nurse. It starts with the question, how can I be the best nurse? And I don't think we're doing nearly enough of that. No, I think that we've really reached a point where all schools are vocational
0: schools. Yeah. Which, you know, it, uh, there's I'm not bashing vocational schools. Not I, you at know, all. Obviously, not at all. You know, people need to be trained to, to do jobs, otherwise society doesn't function. Right. Um, but – doing that to the exclusion of um, limiting people who want to be educated for the purpose of curiosity's sake Mm -hmm. is difficult. I have a friend who he flies in the face of this whole thing because he has a very successful business doing um, timber framing for millionaires who buy, you know, want to build houses on Keuka Lake and stuff. And, you know, the the guy resurrected a, you know, 60 foot long pre-World War I machine that cut 10 by 10 logs. <laughs> you know, he re- retrofitted the thing all by himself and <laughs> he had no mechanical um, background, just taught himself about machines and stuff. And then, you know, wanted to take some architecture classes in college, but didn't care about doing the whole degree program, you know, well, I don't need to do all that. I just need to do a couple of classes on this. And he had to, he had to search around. Until he could find a school that would let him just take individual classes, you know, and um, just probably the smartest guy I've ever met doesn't have any college degrees, you know, um, but has taken a couple classes and was always curious, and that's that's all it took. He was curious. How does this machine work? And then the dedication to following through on that curiosity. Oh well, this doesn't. This just seems out of place. This seems to be broken. This doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And going all the way through, it comes up with an answer. The same way that the original philosophers would look at it. But where's that light coming from? You mm-hmm. know.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: initially, you might be wrong, but as you kind of roughly
1: hew away, eventually you get to the source of the the problem. There's and, where imagination comes in. What you just described about your friend. It's where imagination and and curiosity link up, and I, and I know you've you've read about philosophy and imagination too, but, but part of it is um, assuming um, entering different perspectives, taking what you see, going beyond what you see, to see something in the future or to see something, re see it in the past, or to think from a different viewpoint. You look at a machine; you're not trained in the machine. You have to have some imagination to say, what can I do in order to f- make this machine function? Well, first, what must I find out? I must find out how it works piece by piece. How will I do that? And so your friend was leading himself down the merry Socratic path of yeah. asking the question, considering a response, asking the new question. Theodore Sturgeon, one of the best science fiction writers and editors and, and philosophers of of science fiction in the 19th or the 20th centuries, century, <laughs> there were more than one. Uh, his mantra, he wrote this marvelous essay in 1970. His mantra was ask the next question, or what is the next question? But usually it was ask the next question. And he, he created a symbol, a cue with an arrow through it. Sometimes it's rendered as a lightning bolt or whatever because you've got to do that as a writer, as a thinker and, and if you're alive in any any profession at all, you better be asking questions mm-hmm. um, So he was really pushing that
0: yeah yeah so we'll uh, we'll try to get back on track here mm-hmm. so we've we've talked about a lot of stuff so far, but if we're talking about what is curiosity yeah. or what things sort of constitute it, so now we've gotten to the point where we have a rough idea of what it is, but what, what are the kind of the essential elements of it? Do you need to have imagination to have curiosity? Mm-hmm. That's a
1: really interesting question, Joel. Period of silence while the professor thinks. <laughs> <laughs> I, do I need imagination to ask a question? Yes. Because if I can't imagine anything being any different than what's in front of me, and I have no interest in what's in front of me, if I have no interest in it, I'm not going to ask a question. If I have an interest in it, the interest comes from I wonder if, or I wonder about, how that machine works, right? Mm -hmm. So so that's a kind of imagination. So you you have to...
0: able to imagine an alternative outcome if you're going to ask a question what should i do yeah all right so let's take it one of my favorite things to do we'll take it to the animal kingdom we've got (laughs) we've got cats right Mm -hmm. and it's it's scientific there's scientific literature linking cats and monkeys and a couple other animals to having what having curiosity and you can you can define curiosity different ways, and there's you know definitely a definition that becomes exclusive to humans, um, but there is a definition that you know talks about cats and monkeys and these other things. They're curious. We've all seen the cat, you know, extend his neck and kind of move his head back and <laughs> forth and try to look between a doorway or do whatever they do, and poke
1: in a corner. Yeah, man. yeah.
0: So, what's going on there? Is is a cat imagining? An alternative outcome? What is the motivation behind the curiosity
1: for an animal, and is it the same as one for a human? I, well, I, I, have no no way of knowing. No, no information other than anecdotal from having an abundance of cats. Uh, I, I have no idea what a cat thinks. Every time I anthropomorphize a cat, <laughs> it, it's a mistake. It's a dead end. <laughs> uh, but, but I think that the very nature of looking as you say moving its head something got its attention it hears something and its ears flick up it's as much as to say what's that but that is the uncertain thing it's it's you know it's, it's not like sometimes they, like i have a cat watches out the, the window in the enclosed porch a big old truck goes by <laughs> and the cat sits up ears perked and, and is essentially saying what's that But it has a that to focus on. There's an object. But the curiosity is, I don't know if they're imagining, is it a danger? Is it something that's going to do something to me? But what's that is probably something that we share on vastly different levels. If I hear a sound and say, what's that? There's a sound. Is it an anomalous sound? Is it out of place? What makes it out of place? My imagination is going to make up all kinds of things. What could it be? Right. Uh, So I think that
0: we're getting to the the essence of the first question, which is, does curiosity require imagination? And I think in humans, it probably does by default. Humans probably can't be curious about something without automatically or instinctively imagining the answer to the question. But I think animals might be able to be curious without imagining an answer. And what what leads me to believe that is um, I had a party at at our house last night with our, our friends. And we were playing a, a card game, Family Feud, which everybody's seen the TV show. But one of the questions was, um, you come home and your, your front door is wide open. What do you do? And the top answers, you know, from polling regular people, it was funny the difference. You know, some were, one of them was call the police. And then the next two answers were run away or go into the house and investigate, <laughs> which are two opposite, yes, yes. two very opposite actions. And that's because, I think that's because humans can imagine alternative outcomes. Mm -hmm. You can, and it sort of depends on contextually and prior learning what your view is. If you live in a bad part of town or you've had certain life experiences and you see your front door open, you might think, I'm being robbed by a violent criminal. Mm -hmm. If you have different life experiences or you live in a different place, you might think, oh, my mother-in-law must use a spare key to get something out of the house. I'll go in and greet her. Or oh, the lock on my front door is broken and the wind blew it open. Yes, or, yes. So there's a lots of things that go into that. I don't think a cat or a monkey can grasp that level. If you have a door no, that's no. closed and a sound comes from behind it, you know whether that sound is a monster that's, that eats cats or a mouse that gets eaten by a cat, I don't think the cat is really imagining that scenario. It's just hearing the sound, and then there's a physiological instinct that says,
1: maybe it's food or, you know... Or some danger thing. or whatever. Yeah. But but then the cat will reach his paw under the door and, at least my cats, and rattle the door. Yeah. Trying to open it. Rattle, right. rattle, rattle. So no matter what's in there. Right. If you heard this
0: deep growl, you, you hear Godzilla on the other side, obviously a human is going to run away. But yeah. a cat might still just kind of want to <laughs> see what's on the other side, you know? Because that that imagination probably isn't there. I, I Yeah, I think... I'm with you. So, it's, I guess it would depend on your definition of curiosity. It, cur- just curiosity in general probably doesn't require imagination, but in human beings it probably… is unavoidable. Yes. Yes, it's unavoidable. <clears throat> um, what about openness to experience? Do you think you have to be open to new experiences
1: to be curious? I do. I don't think that it's just uh, one step and there you are. But I think if you're not open to new experiences, then you're going to uh, rather, uh, in a recalcitrant way, you're going to say, I'm not going to ask questions. A, I'm not supposed to, or B, I don't want to, because C, I'm not really interested in knowing all of that. Just let me get on about my business. There's another name for that, and it's it's a a kind of ignorance of, of. a uh, kind of narrowness that can really ultimately be dangerous to somebody in the end. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think that curiosity uh, and imagination very much go hand in hand. I may be just too biased about it, but
0: right? I, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, this openness to experience. One, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering about it because you know we all, because I'm imagining a scenario, right, where let's say you have somebody who has a very strong political affiliation and they're curious about a topic in current news. Mm -hmm. And so since they're curious about that topic, they go and start researching news articles about that topic. And let's say that the topic comes with very hard evidence that the view they supported is false. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Now you have this cognitive dissonance that you're trying to quell um but research says that you're going to ultimately dispel the evidence and continue on with whatever your initial political leaning was so you you are curious you're curious about what's going on we are not open to
1: the new experience. Exactly. You're curious about what other people are. You're curious what the gossip is. This is going back to the ancient Greek. What's the gossip from the other side on this topic? Right. Oh, I don't believe any of it because A, it's in the media, or B, because it's from the other side or whatever it is. So I looked. It's nothing. I stay on my position. That's really intellectually dishonest. Intellectual honesty is, to, is being able to change your mind and say, oh, I've taken this information. Hmm. Yeah, I was wrong. I didn't know that. Let's let's go or IOED the the illusion of explanatory depth where you think that that you uh, somebody asks you, well, how's a phone work? Do you know how a phone works? Sure, I know how a phone works. Tell me. Oh, <laughs> and 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 you can either do the O and change the subject, you can do the O and say, no, I guess I really don't. It's sort of magic, isn't it? You push the button and <laughs> things happen. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, that, that openness is deeply important to to true curiosity, right? Because
0: although that that anecdote seems to indicate the openness to experience isn't necessary to curiosity, I think that that person probably is curious. Um, but what they're curious about is trying to find new. New details that support their
1: underlying beliefs, which is precisely the opposite of scientific curiosity, which is uh, the scientists are, are trained and, and ethically predisposed to take in as much information as possible and to actively seek things that will dis- that will prove their idea wrong. Right. But what you just described is, is oh, I'm going to – it's the standard high school research paper. Form a thesis and go out and find a bunch of stuff to prove that your thesis is true. Right. Which means you're narrowing <laughs> your view rather than saying, go out and find a bunch of stuff, see what it says, and then let's form an argument about how your argument has changed. Yeah. Which is much
0: more open. so where, So where do we land on that? Do we need to have two – Two separate um, ways of defining curiosity in that case, because, or would you say that that first our political um, figure here isn't <laughs> isn't actually
1: curious? He's something else. Well, well no, I I guess if you're going to qualify it in some way, uh, yeah, I guess you're looking at two. Um, uh, shades of definitions for curiosity. I, if I, I think the first is the, what the Greeks were disparaging. I'm curious for some gossip, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I only want to hear the stuff that I want to hear. So I'm, what I'm really curious is what people are saying, but I, I, I don't care. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not being opened to any particular growth, deepening. Um Education or change, it's just uh, well, it's out there. so what we've kind of established here is that
0: curiosity has a noble side and uh maybe not necessarily ignoble but in no. idle or just sort of um, not necessarily uh, growth focused yeah. side, and probably the determining factor in it is openness to new experience
1: and and information. And data and and all those things, I guess I, I like the word noble, but it's, it probably sounds pretentious to to people. But let's 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 assert a different word. Uh, deep curiosity is absolutely fundamentally pragmatic. <laughs> you can't. It's, well, for instance, so you, you let's say you're at the the at the, your workplace and you're managing, and a machine keeps breaking down and if you or the person running the machine just say well i don't know why we'll just keep unplugging and plugging it back in again <laughs> and it keeps functioning that that may work for a little while but ultimately it's going to impede all the things that business is concerned about efficiency and and material use and expenditure of time and such and so to me the the pregnant it's it's like uh, the, the global the the climate crisis if it's not pragmatic to ignore the data. It, it's, it's not patriotic. It's not pragmatic. It's, it's foolish <laughs> because you, 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 close, you close yourself off and say, la, 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 with your fingers in your ears. I don't want to hear that. Well, that's not curious. And, and, and curiosity would say, well, what kinds of things, acknowledging that this is taking place, might it be useful to do? Right. Yeah, really, um,
0: it's a war of pragmatism, really, and it's short-term versus long-term. Yeah, yeah. So it is more efficient and more pragmatic in the short-term to continue doing what we're doing because we have the infrastructure and knowledge in place to use it efficiently, Hmm. ignoring the consequences of the toll it's taking on the environment. the long-term solution, um, it's more pragmatic to develop the knowledge and infrastructure to have renewable resources in order to stem the um, issues that come along with Overpopulation
1: depletion of resources, and yeah. all of the other things curiosity was is would then you can have narrative and artistic curiosity let me create a song about what I see happening. Let me uh, tell a story that's science fictional about if we extrapolate from here what's it going to look like in X amount of time so it doesn't have to be uh, 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 preachy uh, and it doesn't have to be fundamentally absolutely. Useful and nothing else, but it it should have one. Sh- I, I I keep saying should I I, I should do that. <laughs> now, if one is to be uh, embracing curiosity, if one really embraces curiosity, one embraces that mostly things are unknown, and we want to try to know them. Right.
0: All right. So as far as establishing the essence of curiosity i think that we we're, we're getting there now and by getting there we're really figuring out that it's it's a much bigger topic than um you can put it in a in in a box about you know we started out talking about the greeks and how they sort of disparaged it in favor of awe or wonder yeah. um but in modern times it seems like that our wonder, is sort of incorporated into the word a little bit, but we still are hanging on to that old definition as well. So as a result, curiosity is a very multifaceted um, concept in modern language. And it has its dark sides and its light sides. And, you I know, with, with, animals, with animals, it's something different than it is with humans. And
1: there's, there's a lot of different aspects to it. Um, what but, did you start with? Curiosity killed the cat. Yeah. And satisfaction brought him back. Brought him brought him back. I can't help but think of uh, Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, with curiosity. <laughs> you know, so the the cat in the experiment is you don't know if the cat is alive or dead until you look. Therefore the cat is both alive and dead imaginatively.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Our curiosity about the cat is <clears throat> wide and in flux until we look and see what happened. It's, it, it might be intellectually satisfying to say, yep, that kind of radiation done this, did this, and the, the, and the cat's dead. Um, I'm satisfied that the information is accurate. I'm not satisfied to get that, but but I'm not, I, I'm not sh- sure. I now you've got me thinking about that old 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 saw. How does satisfaction bring it back? That's an imaginative act, right? And if and <laughs> let's talk about imagination a little bit because it's very
0: interesting as well in the philosophical literature. You have all of these different theories about the philosophy of imagination.
2: Yeah.
0: And I'm reading them all, and I had also thought about Schrodinger's Cat because they talk about how um, you know, you can't imagine things that you haven't experienced, or all <laughs> these different things. Yes. But what's funny is, you, you can like, I can imagine being an astronaut in outer space. Whether or not it's an accurate depiction, I can imagine it. Of Schrodinger's Cat, you can't imagine. It's a very abstract scientific sort of thing. You can't imagine an, an individual entity being both alive and dead at the same time because the cat's not a zombie, you know, you, cause we can't imagine that. Okay. Well, you're a zombie. Yeah, you died zombie. and now you're right, alive. Right, we right. can imagine that even though that's <laughs> not a real thing. So that sort of flies in the face of those theories. But Schrodinger's cat is a different, a different type of, problem it is the cat is both alive and dead at the same time you can't imagine that that's not something (laughs) that you i at least that's what i would posit you can't actually imagine the cat but then that comes back because there's an oscillation you can't right well there's the there's the also the the philosophical (laughs) distinction between um first and third person perspectives so Uh they bring up yes if you're imagining being napoleon let's say i'm Yep. Imagining being Napoleon and how he um planned out this battle. that's third person. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, if I was Napoleon, I would have done this, this and this. But first person is, if I were looking through the eyes of Napoleon, and hearing Napoleon, through his yeah. ears, yeah and that's first person mm-hmm. So you know we from a third person perspective, we can we can imagine Schrodinger's cat because we can think to ourselves, well, you know, the cat is either alive or dead in the box. Mm-hmm. But from a first
1: person's perspective, the cat is both alive and dead. You can't what is that? It. It's yeah. not, it's, you can't do it. It's not you possible. Can't. I just looked up the providence of Curiosity Killed the Cat because I was just curious. <laughs> uh, first used in 1916 in the Washington Post to report the death of a cat whose curiosity proved fatal. Uh, a cat named Blackie. And and it goes on to tell the story. Curiosity killed the cat is a proverb used to warn of the dangers of unnecessary investigation or experimentation. That's a very Greek Isn't uh, proverb. <laughs> Isn't it? What, because how do you define what's unnecessary investigation? Right. And <laughs> Or and, experimentation. And so I think that that's... That's where I think that
0: this sort of traditional view that the Greeks had or that, you know, some of these people have, that's where it gets dangerous is because you're looking at curiosity as being the one thing, which is um, a curiosity without imagination. Mm
2: -hmm. Because
0: like we just talked, I think that that's a really good anecdote that we came up with earlier, where you have a noise on the other side of a door. Mm. A cat, it doesn't care if it hears a mouse squeak or Godzilla, it's going to look, try to get behind the door. Mm -hmm. A human doesn't act that way. No. If a human hears a mouse squeak or a Godzilla on the other side of the door, they're going to have very different actions. So this idea that curiosity is somehow dangerous, you know, like, I think it's a complete fallacy, a complete fallacy. Because although it could be dangerous in the terms of um, changing, um, you know, certain social mores, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it could cause violence. It could cause revolution. Mm -hmm. It could, so it can, it can cause danger, but in terms of being dangerous in the sense of a negative self-harming sort of thing, even if somebody dies for their curiosity, there's a good chance that they did that knowingly. If they heard Godzilla on the other side of the door, they deemed that it was worth discovering what made that majestic sound and dying for it rather than. Oh, what is that? Exactly. Oh, no, I'm eaten, you know? Exactly. It's not it's, stupid,
1: it's purposeful. Yeah, purposeful curiosity. Good for you. That's you've you've, you've brought us to a clarification. Horror film characters are enormously stupid and that's why we have memes and and advertisements about them so, i wonder what's oh i hear a creaking sound i hear shrieking oh it's getting really cold here there's a growling i need to open the door right, right. because Thanks. the script says so yes. <laughs> that comes back to our, our family feud game you see your front yeah. door open yeah yeah
0: some people decide to run and some people decide to investigate But those people are imagining different scenarios. Mm -hmm. So it's that 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 thought of imagining,
1: um, the conscious choice, the 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 deliberate uh, questioning, the deliberate. I'm being curious for very specific reasons. Right. Yeah. So yeah,
0: we've 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 definitely gotten somewhere with the essence. So why are we curious?
2: Hmm.
0: What is the motivation? Behind it do you think that we've talked about i I think the animal motivation it stems from physiological need it's very behaviorist mm-hmm. We have a cat at work now um this cat he lived next door at the cabinet makers that's where he lives he's very well fed very well taken care of um but in the course of his wanderings, he came over to our place um at some point and of course immediately people tried to usher him inside and he was very wary at first. He, the curious cat, he has his neck, extended. he's looking. He doesn't want to, you know, and he'd get closer and closer each day. Finally, he came inside on a very cold day. He decided, oh, there's heat in here. I like heat <laughs> warmth, so I'll come inside. Oh, it's warm in here. And then he was fed, and now the cat is a regular. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I think that the, the curious drive for the cat is pretty self-evident. You know, I don't think the, there's that deeper imagination going on there. The cat sensed warmth and came inside. The cat now was reinforced with food and with loving affection. Mm. And now the cat um, essentially has two homes. Curiosity has paid off. Right now. Um, <laughs> but in humans, do you think that that was, that's the case? Do you think that um, human curiosity originally stemmed from a similar property? I think it's built into us. I,
1: I I don't, I'm with, I'm with the philosophers who, don't, uh, who stopped asserting long ago that there's such a thing as natural law, capital N, capital L. There, there are laws of nature, but the natural law, that we are such and such in a certain way and always always will be. If we go to the the fog <laughs> caveman <laughs> paintings of Lascaux kind of character who is um, curious about the, uh, the sounds outside and determining that we need to have extra spears because that sound seems dangerous uh, i don't have to go out and look to see the creature whatever it is I'm imagining and therefore i'm I'm preparing so there's something of the cat in that I think that for humanity collectively there is a built-in curiosity i don't think that it is so individually always i think it's being trained away
0: yeah so do you think that that physiological curiosity that the cat feels do you think that even with ancient people it was something different from that or do you think that I do because I think so as well, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, um, uh, I if you know. look at you look at ancient humans and sort of their how they spread around the world, right? I think it kind of goes against that capital and natural law mm-hmm. that we're we're starting to um, yeah. disacknowledge. because I think that there's there's a need to explore and there's a um, you know because think about it humans were hunter-gatherers until they settled down very late in their evolution, right? But being a hunter-gatherer does not necessitate exploration, you know?
1: That's on a uh, huge basis. Right, right.
0: Now, if you exhausted your hunting grounds, you might move a few miles. But what are the chances you're going to chase a pack of you know, deer from South Africa to (laughs) Russia. You know, what's the chance that you're going to run out of berry bushes and have to go all the way to Russia or someplace, Mm. right? Or, you know, Norway or something. That's not necessary. Um, I think that certainly some migration is necessary to adapt to your environment. Mm -hmm. You'll have certain environmental... um, impacts that you're going to have to try to mitigate through um, these avenues, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and cats and monkeys and things have these problems with territory disputes or with food shortages or that, you know, those sorts of things, which certainly early humans would also have. But I don't think that that accounts for all of early human behavior. I think that there is something else. And I think that exploration plays a big part in that. There's the curiosity they can't be accounted for with purely physiological drives. The it's something beyond at, behaviorism.
1: I uh, that, there you go. There's your way. Beyond behaviorism is another. You've, you've been coining a number of things today. <laughs> the, the, I'm going back to the paintings on any number of caves. You don't need necessarily to paint a picture of that which you're going out to hunt. Now, there are all, there are all sorts of hypotheses about. It. We still don't know. Some the the most recent one I read was these these pictures on the caves of Lascaux and so on were, were painted by by adolescents who'd gotten drunk and had a party and were and were and were um, violating the space of their parents. i paint all over your walls, you know? <laughs> which I were out there like, but they were still imaginative paintings.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, here's what I imagine I'm going out to hunt or here's my imagined. Reality of that thing which I went out after, or whatever it is. The storytelling is an imaginative act based out of curiosity of extrapolating from experience, and and putting oneself in other perspectives, and and the curiosity of well, how is it to live that way? Let me try to weave a story, but I better be very thoughtful in how I'm. I'm and maybe I'm going to research, and maybe I'm, I'm going to observe. So that my curiosity will not be frivolous, and it will be um, based on uh, a credible uh, extension. And so, yeah, yeah, I don't think you know, animals don't do that, but we do. Why, why do Why do you get up, go onto the ocean? And and yes, it ends up very badly when cultures collide. And our history is replete with that. But there can be an element of. Of survival mixed in with an element of utter what's out there, which is where our our space program used to be, and and perhaps we'll get back to it. There's there's lots of talk about Mars now. There's lots of uh, there's a, a, a very interesting TV show right now. My wife and I have been watching called Mars, and it's it's fiction, but it's also based on uh documentary information of our why now what we're developing in order for them the one of the primary purposes is the the uh system systematic belief that we are not going to survive as a species if we don't get off our planet that when you have two different nests you've doubled the possibility of keeping the species alive okay there's that but more often, you you ask uh, any astronaut, uh, and they're eager to find out how is it there, even though it might kill me. The characters in the show, is very interesting. as They said it's quite likely that Mars, when we land, will kill all of us. But we wouldn't do anything else but go. Right. And you see, you go back to the original saying, Curiosity
0: Killed the Cat. And I think people coined that phrase would would look at that as as evidence that they're correct. Mm-hmm. Look at that. You're going to go to some place that's going to kill you all. You know, like, that curiosity's bad. But, <laughs> no, you have to look at the motivations behind why somebody is deciding to Precisely. do that. Precisely. And you're realizing that it's, it's something that's being deemed worth it for a, a larger purpose.
1: Just sitting around in a static way is not human.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exploration is, is the part of it. And you look at, like, um, I remember, I was a thing about the Polynesians who found Easter Island. Easter Island, out thousands of miles in the middle of the ocean, this tiny island, and these these people knew that it was there based on how they were looking at the waves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of anthropo- uh, anthropologists are starting to think that these people knew exactly what they're getting into. Um, they knew that it was this small island. They knew that it was extremely isolated and far away. And yet they decided to leave their mainland to go there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That doesn't come from adapting to your environmental problems. That doesn't come from trying to find food or, or these. other. It's not a physiological drive. That is something else. That's going to Mars. That's know? going to
1: Mars. That's saying, let's find out if we can actually do this. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that, that that does a really good job covering the formative
0: part. Now we're going to get into the speculative part, and this is going to be a really long episode because I know this this is not going to be a short conversation. Um, last time we got together, we I asked the question of whether we thought awe and the sublime was the origin of religion. Today I'm going to ask: Is curiosity the origin, the origin of philosophy? Hmm. So we kind of covered that a little bit earlier in this episode, how you had philosophy, which was caused by wonder and you had, you know, curiosity and religion sort of capitalized on awe. And so awe really is kind of the origin of religion, not the other way around. I don't think awe stems from religion. I think religion capitalized on awe that was already present in human um, ability. Is curiosity the origin of philosophy? Do you think that being curious in the first place is how people developed systematic ways of thinking
1: about things and and became philosophers? I do. If we go back to the the tried and trite but true definition of philosophy, as in the love of knowledge, uh, philosophia, knowledge doesn't just happened <laughs> right there <clears throat> there's a process there's a it's not one process there are many different processes right but um so there's behaviorist kind of process of oh, this is how i learn to do things and we'll not go through all of those but it, but i think that without the question the answer isn't going to emerge hmm. I sit here, I look, there's there's light coming through the blinds in, in your studio. I'm going back to your light thing. Well, all right. I can say, yeah, light. But I have to ask a question before I can get anywhere with it. Why is the light... Coming through as it does. Well, because silly, there's blinds there. Well, why do we call them blinds? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and blinds can be canted different ways. That's to direct the light to different directions. Why do we want to direct the light in different directions? No, no, no. no. I, I don't think we get to knowledge without that questioning.
0: Yeah, and this kind of comes back to um, what we were talking about with you know education. Um, and one of the things I was reading about from a professional educator talking about sort of the state of the, the field at this point was they're saying that children are born scientists, hmm. uh, you know, a two year old is a I scientist, know, cure, absolutely. you know, cause you know, like, like you said, you don't think that there's an answer without the question. You don't think that, um, you know, a purposeful inquiry, um, Knowledge doesn't just happen. I think a lot of people would look and say, well, look at a kid learns all kinds of stuff and they're not asking questions. They
1: are. They are. It may not not
0: be a verbal thing, but you see kids picking something up and dropping it or, you know, trying to lift something heavy or
1: trying to, you know, wobble around on their two feet. Push on something and fall backward. Right. And then get up and push on it again. Yeah. Why did I go? The, the, all the questions are implicit, in, in, implicit, and they are there. You, you, I've, you know, I'm enjoying my granddaughter very much, and there's that's very much there. So now she's she's gotten to the place where she, there are there are words happening, most especially that, and sometimes it's that. It sounds like an assertion, but it's not. She wants to know, goes over, touches it. I have a set of, of, of a bell ornament that she takes, and it has a little stained glass in it, and I hang on to it, and she spins it. Whenever she picks up a picture uh, in a frame, she looks at the picture. You know, it's narcissistic. There's pictures of her, and she likes that, but, you know, but there are uh, any, any picture. But then she'll turn it around in your hand and look, and the eyebrows go up, and then she turns it back. She's questioning, why is it there and not here? You, you you, can see that happening. Yeah, and I almost think that there's, there's two sorts of
0: ways that you start to philosophize or be curious about something. And one of them is that very natural way that a child learns things. And I think a child's asking a lot of those simple questions, like you were talking about the light. You know, oh, hey, you know, there's the light. Why do they call these blinds? What, what about the angle of it? If the light's coming at this angle, you know, what kind of, where's the sun in the sky? And those are things that the kids are sort of learning um, innately through the questions that they're asking and experiencing. And I think there's another part which is more purposeful as you get older, where you may have experienced something your whole life, and you know things about it from those things that you learned as a kid. Mm-hmm. But then it's that that reexamination, you know where you know the first the the first guy to wonder about what's that light in the sky, the sun it's not that he had never experienced the sun before he'd experienced the sun before he knew that it was warm, he knew it was bright he mm-hmm. knew he knew things about it from asking questions innately as he grew,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but the reexamination led to a deeper a deeper question and a deeper understanding because of that question. And that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in. You know, I'm not, um, you know, pedagogical um, teaching and learning methods are interesting, but I think andragogical or even gerontagogical, which is a word I'm pretty sure I just made up, but should exist.
1: <laughs> it does now. You just should, created it. It should exist. Why did you make that word up? Because I... That's
0: interesting to me. I think that you look at the, the biology and the anatomy and, and the psychology behind learning, and what you find is that as people get older and as neurons prune and myelin thins and all of these other things, people become less curious, less creative, less open to experience. And as a result, they just generally learn less. And I don't know if that's a cultural thing or necessitated by biology, but
1: it may be mitigated by biology, it, but right. it's not necessitated by biology because you have people who consciously choose to learn a language, which we know now you can right. at age sixty, seventy, or eighty. It, it's not this. It, it's, it's so. So, so
0: that's,
1: why do we do that in the gerontological sense?
0: Right. right? So that, that's 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 the thing with that I am thinking of is. I mean I obviously have an interest in pedagogical things because I always I want to I want to stay in that mindset of the childlike sort of inquisitiveness mm-hmm. because even you know I don't want to ask the simple questions that a child asks that I already know the answer to right. but I want to stay in that mindset of what's the next question about this thing that may seem very mundane on the outside Anything that seems mundane, there's there's always something more to it. You're just not thinking about it hard enough. Um, yeah. So I like the the pedagogical or the you know the, a child's mindset, but I don't think that there's anywhere near enough focus on adult learning, as evidenced by the fact that I had to make up a word to describe <laughs> learning in, in older people. Right. You know, like I, I don't. I don't think it exists. Maybe well, I I'm thank wrong. you for
1: answering that because I, want, I know, but, but, the, right. So do we, uh, curiosity is about making, let's, let's try this out. Conscious, the conscious decision, as you say, as an adult to ask the next question, not in a childlike, in a not in a childlike way necessarily, but for the same purposes, which is to find out what's. Underneath, or to to when you you described it in a, so one of our talks before about the process of of making music and the process of setting yourself a problem. I'm going to make music with X Y or Z instrument only, or I'm going to try a, a new set of settings. And there's a question implicit of that: Why? Why did you do that? And the and the answer is. Yeah, yeah. You, you wanted to right. but that's not but you wanted to
0: why i i guess i just wanted to have the answer
1: you know i wanted to, to do <laughs> what's it like to make music this way right instead of making it the same way i think you, you said to me i wanted the challenge of having the narrow and this is where it gets maybe almost a. Uh, Paradoxical. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to narrow myself. You're sitting here gabbling away about widening and deepening and all of that. And well, yes. If I limit my my tools, what can I accomplish? And that can be very surprising. Yeah, and I think that why it seems so paradoxical or
0: strange is because of um, what we were just talking about. Is that? And I remember that talk. You know, talking about okay. Well, if you just no guitar, then you can only make some music a certain way. So as I learned guitar and bass and drums and mandolin and all these other instruments. And then as I learn all these different recording techniques, and as I learn all these different mixing techniques, all of a sudden, right? I can make any kind of music I want. I can, I can do jazz or rock or pop or any of these things. Right. But what that, the sort of analogous, um, part to that would be like the philosopher, the natural philosopher who gets so used to the sun that it's just something that's there, right? <laughs> because you have all of that knowledge, and the more knowledge you have, the more the topic in general starts to become mundane. So music itself starts to become mundane the more you know about it. So how do you how do you destroy? That the, the mundane, you have yeah. to take a certain thing and look at it more closely than you've ever looked at it before, uh-huh. and that's that's exactly where the narrowing comes in. I have to really focus on okay, well, what is it about you know the keyboard that I've never played before or I've never looked at? All right, now I'm going to essentially lock myself into trying to, and that's, that's a good word. It's, it's sort of like an escape room. Okay, well now I've locked myself in this room with only a certain number of tools. How do I get out? Yeah. yeah, You know, and you solve a problem that you're solving a problem. And I think that that's, that's what you're, you're looking for. That's what curiosity for adults, um, (laughs) should be is looking at that thing, looking at politics, the political institution and thinking, like you said, what, Makes a good politician? Because mm-hmm. that's not the question that's being asked. No, It's not, you know, people, well, who would make the best president? How about what makes the best what president? What makes the best president? Not who, but what, yeah. you know? And I think that that's, that's the, the curiosity that we're looking for is, you know, to articulate. We, all, we all know what politics is. It's become mundane. It's become something that's, because we have that, I feel like there should be a term for it, but we have that intuitive learning that we've all experienced and mm-hmm. kind of developed. But now we need that re-examination to look at something through all of the other knowledge we have and sort of hone in on, yeah, but what is it? What should it be? You know, yeah. And that's, that's kind of what we try to do with the program, you know, is define the essence of something, cover our prior knowledge, and then ask, yeah, but what – <laughs> shouldn't be. What is, what's, the,
1: what is, what's the problem, yeah. right? We're always yeah. looking for you know, like back to Mars or any, any science fiction, but, but surely in, in, in science fact, if you have a group of people, well, the Apollo 13, mm-hmm. you're in a little tin can spinning around wildly. You've got limited resources. How do I survive? How do I make this stop? How do I turn this uh, into uh, a, a successful experience? How how do I rather MacGyver like with with? Oh, let's see. I assess what I have. I have some cable, some dirt, <laughs> limited oxygen, uh, and how do I make turn that into survivability for a number of people? So that's curiosity. Mm-hmm. As you said, it's proud it's a Among other things, it's problem solving, but you have to ask what the problem is in the first place in order to solve it. Right. So that gets
0: last question gets us to our last question. Um, Is curiosity a form of creativity?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it leads potentially to creativity. It implies creativity. What do you think? I think, of,
0: that, I think what it comes down to is if we consider knowledge um, an art or a product of its own. Or if knowledge merely leads to the construction of something. <laughs> I think if, if we consider knowledge on its own to be something, then it probably is Curiosity is creative. But if knowledge on its own is not um, purposeful or applicable, then curiosity is probably not creative.
2: Curiosity needs a question, implied or stated, in order to
1: create knowledge. Or to manipulate knowledge, <clears throat> but the in order to suggests that curiosity is the spark to the fire, it's the, the spark to the tinder. It's not the tinder itself. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> it's a difficult one. I I, I was reading a, an article. Um, on neuroscience this week Mm -hmm. about the the cmn the cognitive mode network okay and what what that is essentially they put some people in fmri and they'd ask them questions that required them to answer things Mm -hmm. but then what they were actually studying it was kind of a red herring what they were studying is what the people's brain was doing (laughs) when they were told to just think about nothing or let their mind wander. And that's what the fMRI was actually studying. <laughs> what they found is that certain parts of your brain light up when you're not thinking about anything at all. And based on the, the sections of the brain that are lighting up, what they think is happening is that you're taking knowledge and you're integrating it with things that you've known before. So your, your daydreams or your mind wanderings or all these other things, they're really not purposeless. They're, they're connecting with knowledge that you have, acquired, have, yeah, you know, things that you've yeah. done. So it's almost as if your brain is constructing new knowledge there. So you're having something be constructed there. And that almost seems like a creative act to me. If you're taking two distinct types of knowledge and you're making a new type of knowledge, that is you're, creative. you're creating. You are. So you're creating knowledge. And the act of creating knowledge create
1: creativity. So, but curiosity is not a verb, right? But creating is. You, you you well, let's make up another word. I can be curiositying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but curiosity can be, as we said at the beginning, an object that we find strange and compelling it's a characteristic it's not a the process itself but without the characteristic the process doesn't happen i'm being old school yeah so
0: <laughs> we're almost getting into like an inception like loop where it's really your your brain is doing a creative act by integrating new knowledge and that new knowledge is coming out as curiosity <laughs> it's, it's really kind of a it is
1: a, a a mobius yeah <laughs> yeah
0: so I, I think th- that was a fun episode because I think that we did we did a lot of um, very rigorous um, looking at the topic yeah um, and I think we came to some answers, and there were some that <laughs> we opened some more can of worms. you like kinda,
1: opening those cans. It,
0: it demonstrates uh, the, the topic as a whole. So, And I think even more so, the, the topic of curiosity has the potential to lead us into several other topics. Um, by asking the questions in this one, it leads us to some other questions about what's the philosophy of education or what's the philosophy of creativity oh, or let's some of these do. other things. <laughs> let's do. so we'll see who knows where it'll take us um, but I'm sure we have some interesting avenues to explore in the future so mm-hmm. until next time keep on